podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Still quite annoyed from Monday night, if I'm being truthful, and hopeful that we will uh, actually get our season up and running belatedly this weekend. Yeah, it would be nice if in the fourth game of the Premier League season, Liverpool could finally get their shit together, get their arses in collective gear, and go and win a football match. That would be nice. Uh, Draw with Fulham, draw with Crystal Palace, defeat by the worst Manchester United team in 35 years. Not, Not in any way an acceptable start to the Premier League season. But let's look forward to this game, which we have to hope kickstarts something about this team, something about this club. Because the games get more difficult from here. This is the last of the four powder puff games that Liverpool were given to start the season. Because after this comes Newcastle. Then it's going to be a horrible derby against a horrible team managed by a horrible man who are going to kick and fight and defend for their lives then it's Wolves, who are looking good, and I know they haven't had the best of results, but the performance have been good. They're buying good players, and the team is starting to take shape. Then it's Chelsea. Then it's Brighton. Then it's Arsenal. Then it's Man City, and then it's West Ham. So this is the last really straightforward, absolutely should be a win, no excuses game. I would say, until we go to Forest in late October. Every one of the games between now and then, there's a little bit of doubt about, you know, again, we should win them because we're better than all of those teams bar City, but there's good players in those teams. Those are teams that can win games of football. This is not. This Bournemouth team are, are fairly poor. And let's start with them, Carl. They have obviously played three games as well. They did beat Aston Villa, managed by Steven Gerrard, on the first day of the season. Jefferson Lerma after two minutes, and then Kiefer Moore after 80 minutes, exposing Villa's inability to defend the second ball. Then they got hammered by Manchester City, 4-0, and City just looked like they were coasting throughout. And then Arsenal had them beaten after 11 minutes, two up through Odegaard's double, and it was all very plain sailing from there. William Saliba wrapped it up on 54 uh, late in the game. Um, it's been a difficult start, a, a difficult set of fixtures for them. But they, they really don't look like a good team to me. 
No, and I think that that's probably more to do than simply the fact that uh, Scott Parker stood on the sidelines, because I know you're a big fan of him. Uh, I, know, I know you think he's capable of great things now and in the future, but uh, even even beside that, the squad is obviously not built as a, a Premier League team. I don't think they've added anywhere near enough to it, even with a, a couple of more recent additions since we did the sort of the pre-season look at all the teams and the business that they've done. Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't watch the opening game of the season because first day of the season, nobody really wants to watch Aston Villa versus Bournemouth, do they? Let's be fair. But I did watch the, the two games that they've played in the Premier League since then. And I think that if you're looking at a club who are generally already known to be in that relegation fight, there's there's two or three things that you're really looking out for within them and seeing how close to doing these things are you. Obviously, the first one of them is organisation, defensive organisation. How how decent are you at withstanding constant pressure and not having possession and all that kind of stuff? Um, the other one is going to be where is your goal threat coming from? That some teams we know are very, very set-piece based. Others can be really quick in counter-attacks and have very, very fast um, either wide players or centre-forwards or whatever to be to be really dangerous on the break. And the other thing is just how do you react when you do go a couple of goals behind? Is that like, is it game over then? Or is it there's a bit of fight in this team? I have to say, so far, none from three I would check them up against. Uh, it is a small sample size at the moment and Man City and Arsenal are not obviously great opponents to be playing against when you're when you're new to the league and you haven't got everything sorted out but even so we've seen teams give City a very very difficult time by being well organised Bournemouth were not we've seen teams be very quick against Arsenal on the counter-attack and have some success against them in that regard Bournemouth were not um, there was there was not really any kind of evidence of any fight back being there against Arsenal in particular like you said it was pretty much done and dusted just after 10 minutes or so and I think it's fair to say nobody would expect after an 18th uh, or 19th minute goal goes in against Man City that they come back and get anything out of the game at all but it's can you manage the game in spells after that can you keep the score down can you um, provide evidence that you, you know your head's not dropping and all that but it was 3-0 by half time it was, it was pretty much done and dusted then and City could take the foot off the break as well so so far not great but um, I, I suppose that their version of Anfield Index would probably be saying about the same about us this week Yes, of course they would. I can't imagine what a Bournemouth index would be like. It'd obviously be very small. Vitality index. <laughs> Everybody has to wear two coats while podcasting. Everybody has to wear two coats. In honour of Scotty. Right, let's have a look then at their summer business. They brought in Ryan Fredericks from West Ham on a free... Uh, rather uninspiring signing for me. Uh, okay, in- okay for depth, we could say, couldn't we? Yeah, I mean... If, if, if they already had somebody in place for both sides. If he's your second or third choice, he'd be yeah. fine. But I looked at Bournemouth at the... I looked at all the teams to start the, start the summer and what they would need. And uh, again, I was only working with, you know, the idea wasn't ever with any of these clubs other than Liverpool and City, who are the only teams I think that can realistically or thought could realistically win the league. What's the best you can do to become the best version of you? So for Bournemouth, it was like, what can they do to finish 17th? Because the very best version of Bournemouth was 17th, in my view. So I said starting right back, starting centre back, a starting right winger, a backup keeper, a backup left back, and another body in central midfield. Because I thought he'd stick with the 4-2-3-1 he played last year. But they've moved to a back three. So... 
I wouldn't have had Fredericks as a starting right back. I certainly wouldn't have him as a starting wing back. Sinisi is very good. I like him as a signing to play in that middle role. But they still need a, a right-sided centre-back to go with him and Lloyd Kelly. They brought in Tavanier or Tavanier, depending on, I suppose, your pronunciation, uh, who I like as a player. He was at Middlesbrough last year. And he's a right winger, which was a need I had for them. But I think he's going to play more in central areas because of the change in shape, and that's fine. They brought in Neto as a backup goalkeeper who I've never been a fan of. And they brought in Joe Rothwell from Blackburn. And I actually really did like that signing because I thought he was one of the better midfielders in the championship. So when you look at them this season and, and kind of what they've been doing and how they've been playing, it has has been the back three. Uh, they opened up against Villa on the first day of the season with Travers and goal, Lerma, Metham and Kelly as the back line. Smith, Pearson, Billing, Zamora, and then uh, Tavernier and Solanke behind Kiefer Moore. Then they went into the Manchester City game and made a couple of tweaks because, you know, you're playing Manchester City. So they played Metham on the right, Lerma in the middle, Kelly on the left, Smith, Lewis Cook, Pearson, and Stacey across the middle, and uh, Tavernier and Christie behind Kiefer Moore. And then for their most recently game against Arsenal, it was Travers in goal, Metham, Sinisi, and Lloyd Kelly as a back three. Lerma sat in front of them, and then it was uh, Smith, Tavernier, Pearson, and Zamora with Billing sort of floating around behind Kiefer Moore. Um, he's he's clearly not certain what he wants. He wants certain players in the team, like Jefferson Lerma is going to play one way or another for them. Um, I think it looks like Kiefer Moore is currently their first choice starting forward, although that might have just been because Solanke was hurt. But he has started all three. Solanke hasn't been fully fit this season. I'm just not sure what it is Scott Parker is attempting to do with this, either the the, the 3-4-2-1 or the 3-1-4-2. I, I don't really know what he's trying to accomplish with this because he's leaving enormous spaces in certain areas of the pitch where they're going to get targeted, notably in front of Chris Metham and when he steps out behind Chris Metham, he's getting absolutely roasted. Uh, there's a lot of space in midfield for teams to play in. And then up front, like Kiefer Moore, there's things he does well, like he's good in the air because he's 6'5", and there's things he's not good at, which is largely everything else. I, I just don't really see what Parker's trying to accomplish here with this team. No, I mean, uh, like you say, you can understand a few switches and changes up and that kind of thing when you're playing someone like Man City because you, know, you need things to try and go well for you. But then I thought maybe with them being at home against Arsenal and all the rest of it, they might have gone more or less back to a similar lineup that they had against Aston Villa, for example, because you know they won. So maybe that was like the way to go, and you change things a little bit for more difficult matches or whatever. So, I mean, first of all, Jefferson Lerma 
stop playing him in defence uh, is is the first thing I would say. He's a, he's a ball winning midfielder. He's a good screen. He commits a lot of fouls. He gives away yellow cards and free kicks and stuff like that. But it's kind of because that's the role he does. And a lot of the time he's playing with other midfielders who are not very good, I suppose, is really what I'm trying to say. Um, it's not just the fact that they're not technically good, but I mean, like, they're not great in terms of the partnership and shielding and real ridiculous work rate and stopping the other team playing through them, basically. So it does leave Lerma quite a lot of time exposed. So first of all, he's going to play the same way whether you play him in midfield or defence. If you're playing him in defence, they're going to be a bit more troublesome free kicks he's giving away. They're going to be a bit more problematic areas of the pitch if he does not win that challenge, which sometimes he doesn't. You know, he's, he's not an elite world-class player. He's a good defensive midfielder, I think. Um, Philip Billing, I kind of feel like I see the sense of what he was trying to do against Arsenal, but I did not like it. I think he was trying to use him as like um, an old-style Freddie Wadin or, or Vidal, really powerful runner from slightly deeper to make it into the second line of the attack there. But again, I don't really think you're going to get the best of Billing out of that. He's not, I don't think, someone in the final third who has very good finesse or technique or consistency about his decision-making. He's much more of a a box-to-box runner, make the use of his physicality in deeper areas to try and get uh, a bit more control. I thought it was almost like he tried to play a three and then a diamond midfield with Billing at the top of it, basically, and then Kiefer Moore up front on his own. And maybe it would have been a bit better off if Billing was a little deeper and maybe Tavani was the support for someone like that. Um, Again, I can see kind of what I think he was trying to do but it didn't work very well at all they didn't really have an out ball they didn't really have the pace to, to get upfield quickly enough um, I used to quite like last time they were in the Premier League Adam Smith as a fullback. I think he's nowhere near good enough to be a wing back though uh, in the Premier League I, I, don't, I don't think they're, they're going to get anywhere near enough out of him if you if you choose to play a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 or any variation in the Premier League I think it's really important that you get a lot of attacking either productivity or at the very least as an outlet out of your wing backs like really yeah. really important and I, I just don't see that from Smith to be honest as a, as a defensive stopper as a full back if you need to be really solid that's fine in a four but if you need to get that extra bit out of him going forward I, I think he's lacking to be honest yeah so do I like you said solid in a four but very limited on the ball and doesn't really want the ball high up the pitch you can tell he's always kind of got one eye over his shoulder, looking at what's behind him, worried about if, if we get turned over here, I'm way out of position and I'm not going to get back. And like you say, when, you, when you're playing with wingbacks, they have to have a functional role. You know, they have to either be offering you an out ball or that release valve where you can just give them the ball and then they can reuse it, like that recycler. And he's just not up to that role. Zamora on the other side, I do quite like. I think he's a, I think he's a good player. He impressed me last season. The billing thing is funny because obviously he was at Huddersfield and, um, he, he played that kind of deeper role and he was yeah, fairly solid for them. But Parker made him a number 10 last season and had him playing behind Solanke. And while it wasn't always pretty, the brute force of having a six foot four marauding midfielder finding his way into the box in support of the six foot two centre forward did cause a lot of havoc for defenders. I mean, we remember like Marouane Fellaini as a prime example. I mean, 
the technical ability of, of, of a shoe, but he would cause mayhem when he loped his way into opposition boxes and Everton or United in later years just humped the ball into the box. And Brighton did a, or Bournemouth did a lot of that last season. Just sent Billing forward, humped it in. He'd get ahead to it, or even if he didn't get to it, he'd draw two defenders, which would give Solanke opportunities. And then you were getting pace and running from the wide areas. Jaden Anthony had a very good season last year, and he got a lot of those second balls from Billing knockdowns or half clearances when defenders are trying to wrestle Billing. I just don't really know why Parker hasn't stuck to what got them up. Like, why move to a back four when, or sorry, a back three, when you, you A, don't have the centre-backs to play it? We know Chris Metham's not Premier League quality. This is not news. We, we saw it the last time they were in the division. You've got full-backs who are more, or wing-backs who are more comfortable as full-backs. Like, even Zamora, who's quite attack-minded, seems to prefer to play as a full-back and have a bit more space in front of them to really burst into. You're nullifying your wide players. So you've brought uh, Tavernier. You have Anthony. David Brooks will be back in a while. Maybe when he comes back, they will change it back. But, like, you're not getting the best out of your wingers if you're, A, not playing one of them, and, B, the other one's playing central midfield and been asked to be a box-to-box shuttler. It just doesn't seem like the best use of the squad. Now, maybe... What he's done here is he's had a look at the start of the season and thought, that's a very difficult run for us. So what we're going to try and do is we're just going to try and manage our way through this early run of Villa, who I think people expected to be good this season. They just haven't been. City, obviously. Arsenal, there's a lot of expectations on. Liverpool and then Wolves. And then when we play Forest, we play Brighton at home, and Newcastle and Brentford and Leicester and Fulham and Southampton. In that run, we'll go back to what we know can work for us. We'll go back to that back four. But it just seems like a very silly decision in hindsight. Now, obviously hindsight is is a magnificent thing to have, but it hasn't worked. And I do wonder if Parker just needs to go back to what got them there. But the problem with that is they've just spent fifteen million to bring in Sinisi who's a left-footed, left-side centre-back, who can also play the middle role in a three. Your team captain is Lloyd Kelly, a left-footed, left-side centre-back, or left-back. You don't have a right-side centre-back at the club who's good enough to play at this level. Maybe maybe they're just a bit all over the place. Like I wouldn't put it past Scott Parker to not really know what he's doing. But it just doesn't seem like there's any real plan to what they're at at the moment. So I thought it was interesting with what you're talking about now, going back to what it was. They played, obviously, the League Cup second round in uh, midweek, and they did play a 4-2-3-1 for that. Uh, I didn't watch the game. I'm obviously looking now as as we're going through all of the stats. But yeah, they lined up a 4-2-3-1 there, and uh, Sinesi came on as the left-sided centre-back in a four there as well. So maybe he was trying him out, seeing if that's another... um, Possibility for them to switch to a bit later on. It wouldn't be a surprise, I don't think, if they stay for a three for quite a while yet, just because, yeah. as we've spoken about before, it, it's it's not about having more defenders in the box. It's about closing out the spaces a little bit more to, to be able to defend them. And like I say, against Arsenal, I, I didn't think they did at all. Against Man City, you can kind of, 
even if they don't, even if they're abysmal, you can almost wipe it off because City are that good and have such yeah. good players that pull you all over the place. You, can, you can't really take any conclusions from that whatsoever. But against Arsenal, they weren't good with their line. It was, it was people stepping out at the wrong times. It was not really the cover in the right areas that you want from either the wing-backs or the centre-mids dropping in. Um, there were, at times when Sinisi was a little bit too far over towards, let's say, Kelly and left Mepham miles away, but then Mepham didn't come over either. And it was quite easy for people like, let's say, Sacco Monson, Martinelli, especially on the other side. Martinelli had a brilliant first half in particular, and he was absolutely torturing like two or three of the defenders at once. And it was because usually when we see, for example, not, not, not so much this season, but usually when we watch Liverpool defend, let's say somebody tries to cut inside Trent, well, straight away, Matip is there. Or straight away Fabinho is there and they have to keep going across and across and across and a little bit further out each time. That's just you know a normal part of defending. We're not really seeing this from Bournemouth at the moment. There's not that second player already there in place to back them up to keep forcing the attacker away on the diagonal. It's just like you get past one, then you've got some space and then the next one fronts you up and it's that's not good. That's not a very good sign for, for what they've been working on or how they've been structuring their uh, getting used to being in a back three or anything at all like that. So Again, not surprising if they stay with it for, for against us, but it needs a bit of work. Might not need that much work against us if we have the same amount of creativity and build-up playing through midfield as we have recently, but in general, not great for Bournemouth at the minute. No, not great for them at all. And um, I noticed Young Hill played for them last night, the centre-back they brought in in January, who's very highly regarded. So maybe he can be... Someone that they'll give a look to in that right-sided role. Um, he is quick. He's relatively decent in the air, and he's so- solid enough on the ball. Uh, like, like you said, against Arsenal, it was just, it was just so poor. I mean, the first goal, Jesus does brilliantly, and I'm not taking anything away from him. But like, three different players had the opportunity to stop him, either within or without the rules of the game. And if one of them just kind of stepped into his way or whatever. It would just be a free kick. You wouldn't even have gotten a yellow card for it. But he just danced in between three or four of them, sets up Martinelli, his shot is blocked, bounces back to Odegaard. Simple finish. The second goal then, Jesus takes a horrendous first touch and there's no Bournemouth player snapping up that second ball and putting it clear. They're just standing around watching and Odegaard taps it home. And you have to wonder, like, has Parker spent preseason coaching a back three? I, I didn't watch any of the preseason games, so I don't know. Because they just don't look like a group of players that are used to playing in a back three or necessarily know what they're meant to be doing, what their assignments are. Like, in a four, if you're playing as two centre-backs up against one striker, it just varies on where the striker goes as to who picks him up. Or if one picks him up and he starts to drift, you'll often switch the centre-backs so that that one player can mark that one striker. In a three, it's a bit more difficult because there's an extra body in there and your zones are a bit more convoluted. But he seemed to have great fun, Jesus that is, just drifting from one zone into the next and finding that neither centre-back was going out to meet him. Neither one was taking the responsibility of having to mark him. And you'd wonder if the better thing for Parker to do with this back three 
would be to designate one as a man marker and just say, look, wherever he goes, you go with him. And the other two, just act as if you're a pair. You're not in a three. You're just a two. Act as if you're in a two. Full backs, pull back in. We're going to play it as a five. It's not a three and a four. It's a five and a two, one, whatever. And just get somebody, whether it's Lloyd Kelly or Sinisi or whoever, to just man mark that single striker and let the rest of the defense defense function as if it's a back four. Because if he's trying to stop them conceding goals, he needs to stop the ball being able to be played in to a striker standing on the edge of their box with nobody close to him and nobody blocking off passing lanes in front. I think the um, lack of uh, crowding out midfield was a big issue as well. I mean, that game, Brennan Shackle was getting enormous plaudits for running into the box and other such dangerous activities, um, which was largely on account of the three or four, depending on how you want to look at them, in the Bournemouth shirts in midfield, mostly impersonating trees. I mean, they literally had their little zone and did not move from it. There was nobody tracking the runner. There was, uh, considering Martin Odegaard was as a number 10 and Bournemouth had nominally three central midfielders, he shouldn't have been allowed a touch of the ball, really. And yet he absolutely dominated. He was in space all the time. And if nobody is on him, there's no excuse for one of the double pivots to be unmarked when they run through. And yet he was just continually allowed to overlap when he wanted to outside the, the... Martinelli was on that side, on the flank. He was allowed to run up inside uh, alongside Gary Jesus at times as well. Nobody tracked him. None of the three centre-backs picked him up either. It was a real, real poor display of not just organisation, but any kind of marking system at all. There was nobody handing on anybody at all. There was nobody going with their own man. It was just it was quite bizarre, to be perfectly honest. And it was also... I'm quite surprised Arsenal didn't actually put four or five past them in the end. It, it very much felt like Arsenal got two up and just thought, right, let's just manage this. Let's just get out of here with a win. We don't need to do any more. 2 0 will do us. They're not a threat to score. So, you know, we'll just we'll go as we are. And then Saliba scores an outstanding third goal. But, you know, I think Jesus had one ruled out for offside and I think he might have missed the sitter but it wasn't like Arsenal kept up a high tempo they very much went into managing the game um, so what are we expecting from them then this weekend I, I I can't see that he doesn't just pick the same back three so Metham, Sinisi and Kelly with Smith and Zamora as his wing backs I think that's what he'll probably do yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Zamora for me is a pretty small sample size of watching him, but not huge amounts that you can sort of pick out and say this is what he's great at so far. I mean, not too bad ball carrying from the first game highlights that I saw, but like I say, it was only highlights, so I don't know how he was the rest of the time. Um, uh, didn't didn't start the game against City. And as I say, against Arsenal, neither of the wingbacks did anything at all that I was impressed by. Yeah, he's he's very much a um, an attacking player. Like one of the reasons they played Lloyd Kelly as the left side centre back was to cover across and allow him to go and and do what he does. And I, personally, I think Lloyd Kelly's actually better as a left back than he is as a centre back. But that's another discussion for another day. 
Um, in midfield, uh, Lerma will play because Lerma always plays. Do we think he tries that bizarre diamond thing again with... Um, no, I don't it, think it, so. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good, but also I think he might... He being Parker, he might look at this and think Liverpool is normally a guaranteed defeat. Right now, it might not be if we're brave enough. And to be honest, if we've given teams reason enough to not go at us, I wouldn't say we have. So if they go 3-4-3, three, three, a bit more similar to you know the two support and the one as they did in the first couple of games, I think that would probably be... <laughs> if I was going up against Liverpool and wanted Liverpool to lose, I'd be advising people to do that anyway. I mean, look, your midfield's not going to be under much threat from our midfield at the minute, so uh, you can probably afford to get away with not packing it um, and maybe play a couple. Like, if he goes with a 3-4-2-1 and plays, let's just say, Lerma and Pearson, although I'm not a big fan of Pearson. He plays Lerma and Cook as a two, which is probably the best two he has, and then plays Tavernier and Billing in front of them, but behind the striker, and more importantly, behind our midfield. I do think they probably can get some joy, unless Fabinho is absolutely bang on it because he's going to have to he's going to have to carry someone's water in this game. Yeah, um, I don't think you go into this without probably two ball winners because if we do suddenly turn up, that's going to be something that they need straight away. Uh, what do you make of Pearson? I mean, again, they've changed around the midfield quite a bit early on this season, but he's one who has started all three games. And again, you kind of have to ignore what a central midfielder does against Man City because they're not going to have very much of the ball anyway. But against Arsenal, again, very, very easily overrun. Technically, I wouldn't say he was very careful in possession. Um, This is not someone that I saw much of last season at all. So you you might have a bit bit more of an idea of what to expect when he's playing well from him than I do. But I would definitely be going Lerma and Billing in there and then depending on if you want to use Tavernier as one of the two support players or not, he might be the third then. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a huge Ben Pearson fan. I, I thought he was like a good championship midfielder. And when he was at Preston, he was at Preston for years. Like he was always one that you could look at and say, oh, he's, you know, he's a good player. He's one of the better players at Preston, but he never, like, he didn't scream Premier League. Do you know? He didn't scream someone that belonged at a higher level. He's just a good championship midfielder. And, like, it is always a bit tougher to to step up to that next level when you're already in your prime and your level has sort of been established. Like, he'll be 28 in January. Um, I just, I, yeah, I kind of feel like he may have, he may have gone one level too high in terms of what he's capable of. Uh, like, to get to this point in his career, He's never played in the Premier League until the start of the year. It was obviously United Academy. They learned, loaned him to Barnsley for a couple of years. He was at Preston for five and a half years, and he's been at been at Bournemouth now for about what is it about twenty months? I think he signed January twenty twenty one, and like the Championship was just a good level for him. Um, 
Yeah, for me, I wouldn't be starting him. I just wouldn't be starting him. I I, I like Lewis Cook as an alternative if if we get the third one in there, to be honest. I think he's much more control of the ball, much more capable of moving into decent spaces and providing the angles to help your team find a a way out through the press. Uh, I do think he's a a decent player. He's maybe not quite gone as high as he might have been able to go, um, but still still a decent player. So I'd say Lerma is a definite, uh, and then either Cook or Billing and Cook, or and on the formation they play, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He could go with the three of them. He could go Lerma, Billing, and Cook, yeah. and try and just be really solid there. Um, and like you said, like Lerma, Lerma's a very aggressive ball winner, and he at times can be a little bit too aggressive. His positional sense isn't always great, but he's he's very, very... Um, He's willing. He's a willing grafter and he will get back into position and he'll fight his way back into tackling situations. Um, Billing can be quite lazy if he if he switches off. Like, there's just... It, it's a weird thing. The talent... Like, I think he's very talented. Or at least, I think he was very talented. But he sort of seems to have hit a level that he just kind of coasts at. Like, he's got a decent level of... Of, of play and, and that's good enough for him he doesn't seem to have that real desire and when the game goes against him he can just become a passenger but Lewis Cook is, is a nice player and he's he's been an unfortunate player I think he was playing outstanding football for uh, Bournemouth a few years ago when they were in the Premier League he got called up into the England squad and then he tore his ACL and ended up missing out and it just hasn't really um, hasn't really worked out for me. It does have one senior England squad, England cap rather, but he's you know he's not spectacular, but he's very neat and tidy on the ball. He's clever. He's dogged. He wins his tackles. He covers a lot of ground. He's you know the type of midfielder that has a long career at the Premier League level um, without ever sort of shocking anybody with something spectacular that he'll do. Um, yeah, I mean, he could play the two of them, and in which case he could play Havanier up front off Kiefer Moore, assuming Moore is going to start again, because I'm not sure what Solanke's situation is. So they were hoping before the League Cup game that he was going to be back in training before we play them. So assuming that he's back in either Thursday or Friday training, he should be back in the squad, but it seems a bit of a big call to put him straight into the lineup. So I would imagine yeah. Kiefer Moore starts and then one off or split forwards. Yeah, that does that does seem the most likely. Uh, Junior Stanislav also out. How he is still uh, getting a Premier League contract, I don't know. Ryan Fredericks, he's a doubt, but they're hoping that he might be back in the next couple of weeks. Joe Rothwell, he's out for a while, and David Brooks obviously working his way back, having having beaten cancer. Great to have him back playing, contract signing a new contract. Yeah, brilliant news. Like absolutely, you couldn't not be happy at the news that he's signed a new deal and like he's going to stick there and I think he's a very very talented player um, and I will say I, I don't think they'd have gone down the year they went down if he hadn't wrecked his ankle because he was their best player at that point um, so yeah like I mean their options are limited this is not like a it's not like they have this incredibly deep squad with loads of players to play in every position and everybody's fit and healthy it is quite limited what they can use. You look up and down their squad and there's just a lot of players there that 
probably aren't good enough for this division. Like, Emiliano Marcondes scored twice last night for, for Bournemouth against Norwich in the Cup. When Brentford came up, he played a huge role in getting them up, and they were more than happy to leave him in the Championship with, with Bournemouth. Um, you know, like Jack Stacey's an option to come in. There's just not a lot that will really inspire you here. Right, we, we should have it. more than enough. Ryan Christie's a good player, actually, and he could. You could go with Ryan Christie off of um, the striker, or he could play in that midfield three or whatever. Ryan Christie's a good player. Uh, probably stayed a little too long in Scotland before making the move south, but he is a good player. He, he's good on the ball. Um, look, Carl, we've gone. We're quite a bit into this podcast. It, it needs to be said. There is no excuse if we don't win this game this weekend. Like we have no no excuse here. These are not a good team, regardless of the problems we have. We have to win this game. This is not should. This is have to. We cannot drop more points here. Um, Like we said on Raw, if if anybody hasn't hasn't yet listened back, I can't remember if it was perhaps uh, Trev who made the point initially, this is not really about thinking about title or anything like that now, this is just a, you need to sort your form out. This is just a, you need to win the next game because the next game is the one that you've got to play and that's it. It is a a complete and utter focus on getting things right, which we have not done so far this season. This isn't about you know keeping pace with City or top four or anything else. This is just sort your shit. This is what this game is now. This is um, quite an important one, I think, for a few individuals, but mostly for the team because we've not been playing to the to the energy levels that we want we've not really had the control of the ball that we want we've not been playing for 45 minutes at a time for sure and really there are so many things that we could go over that we need to improve on an individual and let's say pairing people up level that we could do probably two full podcasts on it i think everybody who's watched liverpool and their open three games so far knows what the broad strokes of those are i think it would probably help a little bit if we can keep say the defensive line exactly the same as it was last time out just start to get a little bit of familiarity there and a little bit of consistency there because it has been obviously chop and change so far as well Uh, so maybe that's the first thing that I'm not really sure if it helps but I think is probably going to be important anyway to try and get ourselves past this whatever we want to call this run that we're on it's absolutely horrible and, and terrible but have to start somewhere and Beating a new a newly promoted team is kind of the base requirement, isn't it? Uh, we can't really go too much lower than that, other than beating the team who's bottom of the league. But we've already had the opportunity to do that, haven't we? So the only real things that I think we can hope for here are maybe an extra senior back on the bench would be nice because we only had three in the last match. Uh, so it does limit your options of what you can change and what you can do in game. Um, other than that, it's going to be hopefully five days of training, which will improve. The concentration, the determination, and the obviously the, the compatibility and the link-up play between the players. Yeah, I mean, Klopp has a lot of work to do ahead of this game. Uh, not just on the playing side, but I think they're just there seems to be something a bit off in terms of how the players are reacting to one another. Like, we obviously saw James Milner having flung himself on the ground, get up and shout at Virgil that he should have done similar, which is just mind-blowing stuff. And then we saw something that was quite unusual, which was him and Henderson standing in the middle of the pitch. 
screaming at each other. Now, Henderson became captain in the summer 2015, the summer Milner arrived and was appointed vice-captain despite not having kicked a ball for the club. I've never seen the two of them in all the games that they have stumbled and bumbled their way through together for us. I've never seen them exchange crosswords, let alone stand in the midfield screaming at each other. We've heard multiple different reports about what a tough week it was at the training ground. Is there something off with this team right now that we're not seeing? Is there something, is there a clash of personalities? Has there been a falling out somewhere? Does it, does it appear like that to you? Or, or what's, your, what's your read on it? I mean, impossible to know if there has been a falling out behind the scenes. I don't, I don't think so. I don't imagine that there would have been unless it's you know, something that spills over outside of work, let's say. Um, I, think, I think they're just obviously actually having a really tough time dealing with the fact that they're not playing well. That's honestly what I believe it is. It's not a usual situation for them. They've been used to turning up and performing and getting it done game after game after game. And even on the occasions when you don't play well we've still managed to find a way to come from behind and take the three points. And it's three times now that we've not done that. Um, we've got a comment there in the in the chat group while we're doing this, asking if players are getting sick of certain members getting preferential treatment. Again, it could be. You never know because we're not on the inside of the dressing room. But again, I doubt it. I wouldn't imagine that's the case. We have built a squad which is... I'm not even talking about the togetherness here. I am talking about the individual um, mentalities of people. It does seem to pretty much be an acceptance that if you're not in the team, work hard and wait for your chance. That's what it's been for year after year. So sure, eventually people reach um, you know a breaking point of that and they get fed up with it and, and you have to find your own way out of that, however that works out. But in general, I, I just think it's quite a few players here are struggling to accept the reality that we've not played well enough and other teams have been better. That's the pure and brutal simple truth of this season so far. We were not better in the first game and we got a point. We were not the better team in the second game. We got a point and we were not the better team and we lost. And I think that going behind again in the way that we did after starting poorly again, I'm sure they were all talking in the build-up. All the stuff that we said about United being really up for it, United being there for the taking because they're terrible, the, the bad atmosphere that there might be before. Everything piled on top of that means that you have to start well and take the lead in that game mm. against Man United. You have to. And we were rubbish. Right from kickoff, they were better than us. And I think that that's got to be, from a professional perspective, from an egotistical perspective, from a why aren't my teammates running as much as I think that they should be perspective, all these things, it, there's, there's a point that you get to and you're like, come on, what's, what's going on? And obviously different personalities will react to that in a different way. I haven't seen, I haven't watched it back yet um, because I, I left straight away the next day, but I'm going to, but I didn't actually see Henderson doing that much shouting. He did initially, but then all I saw was Virgil and Milner having quite a big go at Henderson and him more or less sort of and his back and walking off sort of thing. So I don't know if this is a... That's from Henderson shouted at Milner yeah. because he played a fairly poor pass into Milner's feet. Milner struggled to get it under control. Now, Milner had been struggling to control everything to that point anyway. At that, by then, he'd stood on the ball once and fallen over once. Um, Milner got himself in a bit of a tangle, lost the ball. Henderson had a go at him. And Milner turned around and started shouting back at him. And Virgil then decided he was going to have a go as well. And I think Virgil had a go at Henderson another time in the game as well. But I do just, like, I'm not being funny, Carl, but 
there's a very clear gulf in our squad between one group of players and another. And yet the other group of players do tend to get a lot more credit than the first group of players. And it is that first group of players who have brought the success to this club. It is the Virgils, the Fabinho's, the Salas of the world, the Trents of the world, who've brought the success. You get Thiago walking in the door, one of the best midfielders ever. And his reaction is always amusing. Henderson feels he is in a position to shout at everybody because he wears an armband. His own performance be damned. We've seen him make mistakes and blame others. Against Fulham, he had a ridiculous attempt at controlling a ball and then blamed Trent, who was stood 15 yards away. He shouts at people when his own performance isn't going right. And Thiago always looks at him as if to say, like, shut up and don't talk to me, you moron. Until you're good enough to play with me, go away and don't look at me. And I do just wonder if certain players have gotten a little bit sick of taking their marching orders from somebody that they've been carrying for years. Like, at some point, Virgil and Ali and Fab and Thiago and Mo are going to sit down and think, hang on, we're world-class players in our prime. And we've been forced to carry not just Henderson, but Milner as well and one or two others, like Nat who just, they're simply not good enough. Like, players know the level of other players. Thiago knows how good Henderson is. No matter what they say in public, the players know how good other players are. And they're, they've got to look at him and think, you don't even play the same sport as us. And I do just wonder if there's a little bit of, some players are getting a little bit sick of having players drag down the level but when they're able to carry those players to success it's those players who get carried who get all the acclaim like the year we won the league and Henderson got voted player of the season despite being at best the sixth best player in the team that year like at some point certain people have got to turn around and be a bit pissed off by that like Sadio always looked livid at everybody who wasn't at his level livid he just looked at them in disdain I I don't know, maybe maybe there's nothing in it, but I do just wonder if, if players are a little bit sick of of the same voice chirping at them when he's clearly the bigger issue than them. Like Virgil with Milner. Milner was shouting at Virgil, and Virgil just didn't even respond. He just kind of eased Milner back into midfield. Didn't even listen to him. And the same thing, like Henderson's having a go at Milner, and Virgil's having a go at him, being like, what the fuck are you doing? Do you know, like, we seem to go in this constant cycle of player is bad, player gets protected, player has one decent game, player gets lauded, player goes back to being bad, gets protected, yet Virgil has a bad game against United, and it's a post-mortem on Virgil. Oh, he hasn't been the same since the knee injury. He was the best defender in the league last year by a country mile. Oh, he's a little bit lax in his defending. He defends exactly the same way now as he did three years ago when you were pulling your plums about how brilliant he was. So, like, you can't have it both ways. Virgil does what Virgil does. I still think he did the right thing in the Sancho thing. 
Could he have stepped out a yard maybe and narrowed the angle? Yeah, maybe. But the Bruno pass is on if he does that. And Sancho is good enough to make that pass to Bruno. So, I don't know. Like, there is something amiss. And maybe it's just that people are a little bit fucked off by how many injuries we have and feel that maybe preseason was a little bit too hard or or whatever the case may be. And, like, they're a little bit worried that there's a World Cup coming up and injuries are piling up and what if they get an injury next, they could miss a World Cup. But something is wrong within that team at the minute. And it's not just it's not just that, you know, there's uh, players who aren't good enough playing. There's There's something else wrong behind the scenes, I think, anyway. There's something amiss among the personalities of the squad. It might well be. I mean, look, it could be anything. There could have been, oh, God knows, let's make something up. A meeting at the end of last season, they were told specifically, look, this is where we've slightly fallen short and we're going to be bringing in these players. And they haven't. Or maybe a couple of specific players were told that there were going to be you know, new recruits in a specific role, and there haven't been. Um, it's really, really difficult to know. Maybe people thought they should have had a chance earlier on, and not only when there's lots and lots of injuries or whatever it is, it's... Like I say, it's, it's almost a little bit pointless speculating what it could be, but we do know that there is an issue. This this is not how this team normally reacts, and this is not how this team has reacted over the last few years when we've been successful, and this is not how this team can react if we want any kind of success at all this season. It it wasn't good enough in the first couple of games how we reacted. I know we got back to draw, but beyond, I would say, maybe 20 minutes in the second game, I don't think we've actually played well in any spell this season. Like We had what, 15 minutes against Man United at the end of the first half and at the start of the second where we had more of the ball and we got into dangerous areas but we did not play well. We didn't play fast. No. We didn't make anything happen. I would say, You said it on Raw. Our two best chances against United were own goal attempts. Bruno attempted to kick the net off at one end and was it Martinez? Yeah, that was it. They were our two best chances until the Salah goal. Yeah, like I think was... that was, I think the first twenty five, whatever, whatever point Palace scored at in, in the second game, I think we actually did play quite well. Not great, not to the level we're capable of, but I did think we played quite well in that opening spell of that game. I think in general we played a winning game against Palace. It's just that we didn't like you know we we got a red card and basically if we played like that most of the time we would win. At home against a kind of any run of the mill sort of um, Premier League team, that kind of performance we've put in loads and loads of times, and often it's been good enough. It wasn't on that occasion, maybe because of the red card, maybe because we weren't clinical or whatever. And they had chances, I know that, but teams always have chances against us because that's how we play. The point is that we have double, treble the amount of chances. So I, I was okay. I wasn't like over the moon about the Palace performance, but I thought it was all right. But we were rubbish in the other two games. Absolutely rubbish. And again, this is not how we expect Liverpool to react. It's not how we have become accustomed to them performing. Honestly, the only thing I think is very, very important for this game, and not just for, for the team, but for Jurgen Klopp as well, is that we score first this time. You know, seven Premier League games. And I know after the second game of the season, he was like, oh, you know, it's a different season. It doesn't make any difference. Well, when it's happened three times now this season to extend 
the the sequence from last year, it, it's starting to. You can't argue that it doesn't mean something every single time, especially when, on all three occasions, you haven't done enough then afterwards to go and win the game anyway. If you concede first every single game of the season, but you go on and win them all, fine. Say my players start slow but finish strong, and that, that's how we are, fine. But it's not working. It's not doing the job for us now. We've, t- we've taken two points this season. So it can't continue. We have to go out against Bournemouth, an abject club, let's be perfectly honest. Sorry, team, talking about here, not the, not the football club itself. An abject team in Premier League terms, with the quality that they have there, with the experience of top-flight football that they have throughout the squad and the, and the coaching staff. This is a side Liverpool should swat aside in their sleep, even with the number of injuries that we've got. We've still got Diaz, Salah, uh, Elliot Trent, Van Dijk, Robertson, Allison. That alone is enough. Should be fine. Beat newly promoted sides if you're not playing with you know 15 year olds as the as the makeweights in the rest of the team. So there's no excuse at all for Liverpool. This is what it goes back to what you said right at the top of the podcast. This is just about getting the job done this time. You have to win, yeah. however it happens. And I do really, really think a big important part of that is for us to score first this time. Just yeah, have so I, much I, unnecessary pressure otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. You, literally, you're just making the game much harder for yourself. Like, but you might as well just go to the referee beforehand and say, look, we're going to let them kick off and score and then we'll start the game. Like, you're just making things much more difficult for yourself. And, you know, like, this shouldn't be happening. Not with this team. Not with the defenders that we have. They concede five goals in the first three games of the season against the teams we've conceded them against. Is There's no excuse for that at all. And it all stems from the issues in midfield. So with that in mind, I agree with you. Allison should be the goalkeeper and the back four should be the back four that played against United. Trent, Joe, Virgil and Robbo. But before they go on that pitch, before they go on that pitch, they should all be told, if they score first, none of you are in the team next week. None of you. Don't care. We'll play Nat Phillips and Seth Vandenberg and Milner at right back and Costas at left back. None of you are in the team if they score first. Because it's unacceptable at this point. Fabinho should be the holding midfielder. Mo should be right wing. And Diaz should be left wing. And that leaves three positions, Carl. Mm -hmm. Three problematic positions, all of which... All of which have no real ideal answer at the moment. With Jota and Darwin unavailable for injury or suspension... There's no answer up front. There is an answer in the right-sided midfield role, but he's a very young player still learning his way. And I thought he was one of the few bright spots in that abject display on Monday. Um, I thought he was at times in that first half trying to carry the midfield by himself. There is no good option on the left side at the minute, unless Naby Keita has somehow recovered from what Klopp calls falling over. Um, my assumption is Klopp said to him, look, Naby, I'm going to start Henderson as the six and Milner to his left. And Naby just fell over in horror or shock at the fact that his manager, his beloved manager, has clearly been taking hallucinogenic drugs. Um, there's no answer because Curtis is out. He's not great in that role anyway, but... He's the third best option. Naby's the second best. He's injured. And Thiago is injured. So there is no option for that role. 
So allow me to suggest something, and you can feel free to shoot this down. Because I don't even know if I, if I like it or if it makes sense, but here we go. Right-sided midfield, Harvey Elliott. I think he's earned the right to start based on his performances in the last two games. He wouldn't be my you know short-term fixture there as in the next year or two. Long-term is a different thing. But while we have this group of players, he wouldn't be my choice there. But for now, with what we have, I think he's the guy to go with. In the number nine position, I'm going to suggest that either we move Salah central and play Carvalho on the right, or Carvalho just plays through the middle as a false nine who drops off and does the things that he does. It's not ideal. It's not a role he really knows. He's not played at a uh, ever at senior level, but, but I do th- think he has the skill set and intelligence to make it work. And here's where it gets a little bit strange. I'm going to give you two options, and you can pick either of them. In the left central midfield role, either Bobby, because that's where he had to go and play on Monday night, and it was the only thing that allowed us to wrestle back a little bit of control in midfield. Or Costa Simicus. <laughs> and, and I know it's mad. Yeah. But it yes, can't be right. Milner. <laughs> it can't be Milner. Can't be. And it can't be Henderson. Because he can't play that role. Now, what we know is that Henderson can't play on the right because we've never seen him be good on the right consistently. And after Monday... There's no argument that he can play as the six ahead of Fabinho ever unless Fabinho needs a rest. And he can't play the left-sided role because he's got absolutely no technical ability and keeps turning back inside and getting in everybody's way as he did against Fulham when he went there, when he played there against Chelsea last season. It's an absolute catastrophe. I genuinely think the two best options, the only two options, are Bobby because at least he's diligent and he'll do what he's asked, or Costas, which it might just be a bit mental. That's a lot mental. I'm sorry. That's really, really mental. I think, like Costas Simicas, he's, he's obviously a bit of a, a cult figure at the club as well. But one thing I'm not going to say he's very strong on is spatial awareness. Um, that idea scares me, to be perfectly honest, to, to begin with. I know it's Bournemouth and I know we should probably be able to win even if we have 10 players plus me. Um, The others should still be good enough for that. But I'm going to offer you an alternative. It is going to involve... If Jay Spearing (laughs) comes out of your mouth now, I'm going to be very upset. (laughs) No, I've not not sunk quite so low yet. Um, I am, however, going to include one of the two that you want to desperately leave in a field somewhere in like Michigan or whatever and drive home without them and not tell them where they are. But... I'm going to give you a slight system change and ask James Milner to stand alongside Fabinho in a two and just stay there. Just ball win in that spot and just play it short. And don't do your dummy runs. Don't do your surgeon forward to be in the penalty box. And don't be wherever it is that you try and do. Conserve that energy for moments we need to win the ball back and do it. And do that. Jordan Henderson cannot play. After that performance, he cannot be in the team. That was as low as I've seen any of our players individually sink for quite some time. Maybe since 
Lovren against Henderson Spurs. Henderson against Burnley last year? No, no, no. Beyond that. I, I, I think genuinely the, the Lovren against Spurs is probably the last time I saw a performance like that. Um, it, it was very, very difficult to watch at times, to be perfectly honest. So I'm putting Fabinho and Milner alongside each other in the two. And then I'm going to have Carvalho gets his start in the 10. Elliot to the right, Diaz to the left, and Salah up front. Listen, I don't want to see James Milner in a two, but it is definitely better than the alternative. Um, I didn't see how he reacted when he went off, but I'd imagine it wasn't great because he tends to have tantrums. He had a big tantrum when he was taken off at Old Trafford a few years ago. But if you've hauled your captain off in 57 minutes, you need to make a big statement to him now. And that big statement is you're not in the team. So you're right. He can't play. He just can't. There's no argument to play him. He's been dreadful in both appearances, both starting appearances so far. He didn't do anything when he came on against Fulham other than hoof the ball a few times. Send him off down a lane somewhere with one of the development coaches and just have that. This is all I want to happen for the next four days or however many, three days there is till the game. This is all that needs to happen for Henderson. Send him down the lane with one development coach and one football. And have that development coach lob the ball up in the air in front of him until he can control that ball. And make him go and chase every single one that bounces off him, every single one that he hoofs back up in the air. Like, for a professional footballer to have the first touches that he displayed on Monday is an outrage. You wouldn't expect, you wouldn't see it from Nat Phillips, let alone captain of the club. I'm happy with your, I don't like the idea of Milner, but do you know what I'd actually do? If you want to play, this This might be even better. Now, I don't know what you think about this. If you're going to play a double pivot, why not play Fab and Basetic? Why not just give the kid a go? Because he can't be worse. He can't be. Kids if he can tie his lace and not <laughs> shit himself, he won't have been worse. He will have been the same. Because that's all Milner and Henderson accomplished at Old Trafford. They managed to tie their laces. Well, no, they got the boots on the right feet, tied their laces, and then didn't visibly shit themselves. They might have metaphorically shat themselves once or twice, but they didn't visibly shit themselves. I would play the kid. If you're going to play it too, play Fabinho and the kid. Because at least you know you'll get confidence on the ball, a decent bit of distribution, and you'll get positional discipline, which we can't guarantee with James Milner, who may just decide, now this midfield lark is boring. I've already been a midfielder. I didn't get enough of a run as a number nine at City. I want to rediscover the old days. I'm going up front. Salah, out the way. Get back onto your wing. I'm up front now. Maybe play Basetic in there. That, that's, that's my suggestion. Play Basetic next to Fabinho. With Elliot Fab... Elliot... Uh, Fabio and um, Diaz behind Salah. I'm I'm going to stick with the Milner option. Um, I, I mean, Bajetic, I see him a couple of times last season um, and then obviously in pre-season, but that's not really enough to say, yeah, I'll throw you in from the start in the Premier League game. Um, we do also still have Jake Kane, by the way, who was on the verge of the first team and is now seemingly not because he wasn't even really around for, for pre-season at the minute. So I'm not really sure what's happened there. Um, but Milner 
I don't actually think has done, and you're going to have to let me say the next sentence before you jump in with this sentence, right? I don't think Milner has done that much wrong this season. He has done stuff that he cannot do, and which has obviously been a, a bit difficult to watch at times and has been problematic at times, but I don't think he's made big errors. I think there's obviously stuff that he can't do anymore in terms of like you know, pacing and, and outrunning people and being in places as quickly as he needs to be at times. But performances themselves, I think he's tried to do everything right, um, which is not really the, the way you want to describe your starting midfielder four games into the season, but is what we have at the minute. And I would therefore probably still say him again. Um, it's not ideal. It's not what we hope that we'll have either by the end of the transfer window or just for the majority of the season. But again, let's keep going back to this. It's Bournemouth and you just have to get the job done. And again, if you just have to get the job done, I, I still turn to Milner for that. I, I want you to tell me what job he gets done. Because this whole thing of he does a job just doesn't fly with me. Because... It, it, yeah, he might not have done anything wrong, but, but what has he done right? What has he actually contributed to the betterment of, of us okay, so in if, the last two games that he started? Okay, so what he does in terms of Liverpool getting the job done, right? Henderson cost points, as bluntly as that, against Man United. Milner didn't. Milner hasn't at any point this season. There have been a few times where you can see Milner's not the player we need. I think it was... Uh, I want to say Varane, it might have been Malassia. He had a little ball played into his feet inside. We were attacking, so inside the United penalty box. And he takes one touch and he's past him. And he just needs to, because he's got the momentum and he's got the angle and he's run past him. And he just needs to get back to the ball and a little first time clipped cross into the penalty box. But actually, by the time Milner gets there, the ball's like three steps out of play already and it's a goal kick. That's the sort of thing I mean. He's trying to do the right things and he is doing the right things, but he has his limitations to actually complete those actions. But none of those things cost us. And I think, especially if he's playing a bit more of a, a deeper role that we're talking about, a double pivot at the moment, it's, it's simplifying the game. It's asking him to do quite a specific job there in terms of stay next to Fabinho and do as you're told. Not to that extent, obviously, but it is almost a, a platform-setting exercise, isn't it, if we're having a double pivot behind two kids and two forwards, basically. Because that's what, bluntly, we'd be playing in this 4 2 3 one two really, really inexperienced players at the top level and two match winners and hoping that between them they can get the job done with the fullbacks as support. Milner is able to do that job. Jordan Henderson at this moment in time is not. As previously, he's he's been uh, able to be that sort of second midfielder at times, but he's just in such bad form at the minute. And that, that performance that we saw there, like I say, it cost us points. And we cannot have anybody in the team who could cost us points, not will, but even could. And that's why I would not be starting someone like Badgestitch in centre midfield at the minute, because I don't know enough about him to say that he wouldn't. All I know is that James Milner, at 43 years of age, or whatever the fuck he is, is not a Premier League player, Carl. And there's not one single Premier League team that he would get in right now. Not maybe, one. maybe not, but we also don't know that Badgestitch is... But we don't know that he's not. We no, know that Milner's no, not good enough. We no, don't know that the kid's no, not no, good I don't enough. agree. I don't agree. I, I would put James Milner into Bournemouth's midfield. We've just been talking about how rubbish some of those players are. Uh, ahead of Lerner? Pearson? No. Ahead Pearson? of Cook? No. Yeah, but ahead of Pearson, but he they have better the options. But they have the better options internally. Scott Parker being a Brexit gammon fool is, is not proof that James Milner would start for them. No, but absence no of... No logical person. And to be fair... 
is James Milner actually better than Pearson? I don't know that he is. I think Milner's a championship player. Like, but again, Bournemouth. Like, we need to be better than Bournemouth. Yes, not to say we do. We this do guy is shit, he starts for us, he starts for you. Starting him, uh, no, you're not going to sell me on this, I'm sorry. Like, fair enough, I, I get what you're saying, but like, he hasn't actively cost us points, but he has passively cost us points, but not doing anything. Like, Maybe him so. trying to do stuff that he can't do, him trying to do stuff that he can't do is actually worse than him doing nothing. Because it means he doesn't understand his own limitations. He doesn't know what he's capable of. And that's a bigger concern than a fella who will just get it and give it and do nothing else. Like if all Basetich does is stand in front of the defence, tackle people and just give it five yards to somebody, that's better than having James Milner take it easy. point is that you don't get the guarantee that that's what he's going to do. But you don't have the guarantee that that's what he's going to do because we don't have... But you do, Carl, because he's 17 and he will do what he's told. But 17-year-olds make ridiculous errors because that's what they are. We've seen it a billion times. 26-year-olds! Nah, look, yes, okay, Milner could come in and give away a penalty. We've seen that before as well. But generally speaking, in a given 60 minutes of play that we'll see him on the pitch for... Have you got your Twitter open at the minute? Have you got your Twitter open at the minute? No, but I mean, I can. Grab your phone. Grab your phone. I'm going to tag you in something right now. When we say Henderson can't do the basics, I just want you to watch this clip and just tell me what, what your thoughts are on these, just these three incidents that are highlighted <laughs> in the clip that I've sent you. Just tell me what your feeling is on these three moments. And, and, and I'll let, I'll, 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 I'm going to mute now and let you talk about this. Just watch this video. And let me know. And the third one, by the way, that's the one that led to the kickoff between the two of them. Is this Henderson I'm about to watch? No, this is Milner. Milner, okay. I just want you to watch watch the first touch in all three videos and tell me this is a competent footballer. He's drunk in this game. Yeah, first one's decent. Yeah, that looks like something I do quite a lot. <laughs> okay, I remember this. The second one where he fell over. Ah, oh, dear. What's, the, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the th- I mean, the third one is is in part Henderson's fault because the pass is just whacked in at him too hard for no reason. Like, he gets the, the first one, right, for anyone that hasn't seen this, he gets the ball, he's in 15 yards of space, he stands on the ball, and then gives the ball away despite having multiple passing options. The second one is a simple ball played into him. He tries to control it with his left foot, appears to kind of stand on the ball again, and then falls over while trying to hike it up the pitch. And the third one is a ball played into Henderson that he stretches and controls but can't properly get. Like, it's just, it's very ugly. And, like, the thing is, James Milner has had a good career and he has absolutely maximised every ounce of God-given talent he has because James Milner is proof perfect that hard work will beat talent if talent doesn't work hard. James Milner has beaten out competition over his entire career from much more talented players by simply working really hard. But, I mean, these type of things, this is like, I don't know if you saw, remember, do you know when you see, like, a, 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 a charity game and, like, there's a couple of pros and then there's, like, a couple of actors and then there's a fellow who does YouTube and a musician. He looks like a fella who's not a professional footballer, who's just gotten, who's just turned up and it's a big thing that he's there 
and everybody's delighted, and then he, he just, he can't control the ball. <laughs> like, the first one, the ball isn't even, it's, it's a, a Joe Gomez cushioned header that he runs over to control and stands on. Like, it's just, it's painful, Carl. I, I get what you're saying, that he's got the experience, of, but like, it's painful watching this. It hurts my soul to watch a fella play in what's meant to be the best Liverpool team we've ever seen. And, like, I know we've a couple of injuries, but we've got a couple of injuries, and this is what we're... John, my biggest concern over this video that you sent me is that they all appear to be from the first half. And in every single one of them, in every single one of them at the start, there's about 30 metres of midfield with no Liverpool players in it. In every single one. Oh, there's a great picture. There's a great picture going round where... Henderson is basically stood at left-back. The two centre-backs are where they should be. Robbo has pushed on and Trent is over the far side. And all the rest of our players are up on the edge of their box. And there's nobody kind of between between the touchlines or between the halfway line and this cluster. There must be, I don't know, 60 square metres that nobody's in. It's magnificent stuff. Like, Have you seen the picture going round of the Allegri? Midfield, <laughs> what what Juventus fans are calling the Allegri midfield. It looks like that. It's great. Right, you're saying Milner. I'll say Basetic. Klopp is going to pick probably Milner, or he might even pick the other fella. Mino in a double um, In which case, if he does pick Henderson, I just don't know. I just yeah, don't know what the answer is. I'd rather, I'd rather play a Fabinho-Firmino double pivot than, than Henderson or Milner, frankly. I know Bobby's going to do mad things, but at least Bobby can sometimes control the ball. Wins the ball. Sometimes. Sometimes. Wouldn't have scored that second ball if he'd have miscontrolled the ball. He would have won that back. Would have done something. Just. That that picture that's now been put up for anybody who is listening, obviously, on the podcast, it is literally, again, a space of probably 30 metres with no Liverpool players in midfield. And this is... Yeah, yeah, it's in the chat. This is a big part of what I was talking about during the Raw (laughs) podcast, that we had no way at all to get from defence into midfield because everybody split and there was nobody there to actually receive the ball and take that and play through to the fourth. And that's why we didn't create anything. That's why we didn't have anything at all. This, This was happening over and over again. That midfield needs fixing quick. This was a big part of the reason why we were so deep. So in this picture, for those who are listening... Gomez is about a yard inside the Liverpool half. Virgil is about five yards inside the Liverpool half, both where you'd want your centre-backs. Henderson is left-back. Trent is right-wing. Bobby is left-wing. Diaz is playing a narrow left-side forward. Harvey is playing a narrow right-side forward. Uh, Mo is as the number nine. And Andy Robertson is not in picture, but I think he's actually beyond Firmino to the Mm. left of it. Mm. And there's nobody in the midfield. And there are one, two, three, four, five Manchester United players in a space that Liverpool have just decided we don't want to play in that area. Need it. They need it. 36 minutes done. You can have that part of the pitch, lads. We've got our own half over here and it's just as nice. Oh, Lord. There's also... And I, I don't want to keep beating the drum, but it, I, Sam Maguire sent me some still shots of um, the Alanga chance that leads to that he hit the post with right early to start of the game. And like as as a fairly nondescript build up starts, 
United have the ball and Henderson is where exactly where he should be marking Bruno Fernandes. And three seconds later, Bruno is about 15 yards behind Henderson and Henderson is looking around himself, wondering what to do. And uh, it's the ball into Bruno who then flicks it on to Alanga that creates the chance. Like these are, these are the type of things that you just can't have at this level. Neither of those goals happen with Fabinho as the holding midfielder because, number one, he doesn't have the first touch of a trampoline. And number two, he just takes the foul. Like, he'd have clipped Martial's heels or dragged them back. He'd have bundled into Sancho. It wouldn't have been a yellow card because of where it was. It would have been fairly nondescript. It would have looked like a 50-50 that Sancho just beat him to. Or Bobby would have just gone, or uh, Fab would have just gone and won the ball. But the other fellow just can't, can't, can't play. He just can't play at the moment. And maybe him and Milner just need to go on a little holiday. Maybe they just need to go to, I don't know, get them to Magaluf or something for a, you know, a lad's weekend away. Get them over there, give them a bag of yolks and a half bottle of vodka each, send them into a nightclub and tell them not to come back out until they've pulled. That'll get them sorted. Um, I like when we argue. It's fun. Anyway. <laughs> God. But imagine, imagine, Carl, four games into the season and we're arguing is the best option in midfield, a 17-year-old or a 36-year-old, neither of whom are clearly anywhere near good enough. Not just one of those two, but one of those two to not have another one at all so that we can switch system entirely. It's good oh, times, good times. We're Costasimicus. Yeah, no, I, I told you it was a stupid suggestion, but like, at least he can run. That's a help. Um, is there is there a shout to play Costas over Robbo, or do you think Robbo should stay in the team? Look, I think that there's a shout to replace anyone other than Alisson, Elliot, Salah, Diaz at the minute. That's honestly what I think. Yeah. If everybody was fit, I think that those are the only players who could say we've done bits to show we should be in the team. All the rest of them, I think, have been way, way, way below what they're capable of. And I would not be crying if any of them came out. However, as I say, I would like to see the back four kept intact just to try and get a bit of continuity about us, um, try and rebuild those understandings. I mean, Van Dijk and Gomez obviously had you know, a title-winning season together. But, mm. but a couple of years later, we still haven't actually seen them. I don't think they've started 50 Premier League games alongside each other yet. In all time, not just that season plus now. Oh, I, in, yeah. in their entire was, Liverpool careers. So, was their last start together the seven-two at Villa? I thought I read that the other day. That was the last time they started together in the league. I don't know. Was the Villa seven-two, which is two years ago? It's it's That's uh, frightening. It's it's a partnership we know has been excellent, but it's a partnership mm. which is not at the minute a partnership. It's just two guys playing next to each other again, and we need to rebuild exactly. some. Uh, Rebuild some bridges, I think, is a, a decent way to put it. And perfect. And, and the other part of that as well, like, is that um, for Trent, it's a new centre back as well that he hasn't played next to in two years. Because when Joe played last year, he was largely playing on, on Virgil's side when he came in for Virgil. So, like, there's a lot of familiarity needs to be refound there. And and again, for that back four that was the title winning back four. They're more used to Fab as their six. I know Henderson played a, a big chunk of that season. The best run of form he's had since the 13-14 season was as the six in the title winning season. But they are more used to Fabinho being that holding midfielder. Um, and again, obviously, like the last time they were playing together, Ginny was the left-sided midfielder. So, you know, you had that. 
But at least the only positive from the United game is it, it put a couple of myths that existed amongst the Liverpool fan base to bed. Um, that Fabinho should be dropped permanently for Henderson. Um, like the biggest compliment you can play, pay Fab is that while he hasn't been great this season, I thought he was, I thought he was decent against um, uh, Palace. But like it, it was very, very clear that even a bad Fab is better than whatever it is the rest of the lads are serving up. Um, right, let's let, let's leave it at that. Jesus wept. Uh, it's Bournemouth, and we've done an hour and twenty minutes. Um, have you got anything that you want to plug ahead of the weekend? No. I'm from Spain. I'm on He's holiday. on holidays again, <laughs> folks. Again, folks. This man is on his third or fourth holiday. And here's the thing, right? When I asked the question of is there anything going on behind the scenes, now, I would expect a big J journalist to know what's going on. He's, he's not doing his job, and he's getting really well paid in the way in these holders. I don't even know what's going on in the office this week. <laughs> An outrage. Um, right, we'll leave it there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully Liverpool can do something something even moderately good this weekend. It doesn't even have to be great. Just moderately good will do. But yeah. we'll be back for... You are you on Raw this weekend? Yeah, I'm on Raw. Are you going for a prediction? Are you daring? Oh God, no! I want. Oh, I'm not just going to say. I can't say one nil because I said one nil in the United game we lost. I'm going to say two one. But my really bold prediction here is that we score the first goal. That's outrageous. Be be at least realistic about it. Come on. <laughs> they go two nil up and we scrape our way back for a draw. Right. Oh, I'm going to upset Lisa Marie six nil to Liverpool. Jesus wept. Positive scoring from 25 yards. What are you doing to me? I'm having surgery next week. I don't need this type of stress in my life. Um, <laughs> here's the other thing. What are the odds that Klopp and Scotty Twocoats get in a in a screaming match on the touchline? And that, like, the Gammon Brigade who fell in love with Lampard and, and Arteta when they did it, despite getting their asses handed to them. Uh, what are the odds that, that Kloppo and, and Scotty T have a bit of a set too? Um, I'm going to go back and say that this again depends on who scores first. <laughs> I think Klopp might start getting a bit more <laughs> irate against Parker and Bournemouth than is generally an accepted and necessary level if, the, if we do go behind again. I really want to see Klopp. Like, I know it's not his thing at all. I, and I, I understand that, and I, I admire it, and I think it's one of the reasons players love to play from. But I really wanted them to come out after the United game and just fucking light into them. I really just wanted to see him lose his absolute shit, ignore the questions that were being asked, and just rant and rave for five minutes. And just, like, send a message to these players that, like, I'm only going to protect you for so long. And at certain points, you've got to do it for yourselves. Because he does baby them a little bit. They are a little bit mollycoddled. A good fucking clip around the ear is what they need. Right, we will leave it there. We will... uh, Oh, we've had a a poll put up. uh, An Anfield Index poll. Who should start next to Fab in a 4-2-3-1? So far, there's been 48 votes. 61 votes. Minus 62. It's a rampant... Lead 80.6% for Basetic, 19.4% for Milner. 
the people agree with the people's choice. Yeah. We'll see you next time. We, 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 could, we could actually, before we bye-bye, just say uh, one of the comments <laughs> replying to that is that neither of them start with 10. <laughs> Haroon LFC 07. Yes, or her, at Haroon 0700. That is, it, that is option number three. Because <laughs> um, the third option is playing with Brian Henderson in there, and, and that is starting with 10. So we'll leave it there. Uh, yeah, thanks, Carl. I'll speak to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your of your trip, and uh, make sure you take your parents out for a nice meal or something, considering you know, you're making all those big bucks. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.